0: Don't spend summer sweating your home's AC. Right now, the Daikin Comfort Pros at Legacy Heating and Air are giving you over $1,000 in rebates when you purchase a Daikin Fit Smart System. This revolutionary system is designed to fit your space and your budget or upgrade to a Daikin AC today and save with payment options as low as $69 per month. Elevate your home's comfort this summer with a new AC from Legacy and Daikin. Visit com to qualify now.
1: A Cook family business. Welcome to Football Never Sleeps, sponsored by Legacy Heating and Air, Inc., which we love. It's what's blowing air conditioning into my house right now through my dyke and air conditioner. Um, And that's Tyler James. I'm Eric Hansen. We're here to talk about Notre Dame football with our weekly show. We've settled into our Monday night time slot at 7 o'clock Eastern Time. Lots to talk about. Monday is Marcus Freeman's press conference day, so lots of news. We'll look ahead to the NC State game this Saturday in Raleigh, North Carolina. Uh, Break down a little bit of the uh, takeaways from the 56-3 waxing of FCS School Tennessee State Saturday at Notre Dame Stadium. And of course, we'll work your questions into the conversation. So, Jump into the comments section, ask a question, and I'm going to let Tyler take it from here and tell you how to do that and all the other yeah. little things like hitting the notification bell, which I'll forget. Uh,
0: yeah, well, first, I have a quiz for both you and the audience. I don't know if you noticed it, and if you didn't, and if you did, maybe maybe let's see if the audience can figure it out. Did you recognize anyone from the, the ad that played from Legacy Heating in the Air?
1: I did not. I, oh, I? okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I
0: think I think uh you should know this. Notre Dame football fans should know this. And you might have to be a very dedicated Notre Dame football fan. Um, but I'll reveal who 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 you should recognize uh next week. So if you figure it out, go ahead and comment it. Um or uh, let us know after the show and uh maybe maybe people can figure out. Will there out. be
1: a prize involved
0: in this? <laughs> I don't know. Uh um I will have to talk to the legacy heating and air folks maybe want to well, no uh no I just thought uh I was like wait a minute I think I know who that is um and I think some Notre Dame fans might as well so look look for that at the beginning of the show um and um but like Eric mentioned we, we want to take your questions throughout the show um so if you're new to the whole YouTube process um if you make sure you were click through on either to the YouTube app or to the YouTube website um if you're on a desktop. Of some sort you should have a comment box a chat box to the right hand side if you're on a mobile app uh, you should see the box with the comments below and you see comments from frank sarah jay grizz and bob alvey thank you for you guys for um sending com- comments in already like uh eric said subscribe hit your notification bell so you can get all that stuff hit the like on the video all those things help us out um, as we continue to expand our audience and we appreciate everyone who shows up live for the show but we also appreciate everyone that watches it afterwards as well because that That goes a long way for us, too, Um, and we certainly have plenty to discuss here with uh, Notre Dame coming off two victories to start the season and getting its first real challenge potentially this Saturday at NC State.
1: Okay, well, we're going to start with Notre Dame making its first big road test, and first up there are the injuries. There were some that Marcus Freeman discussed. I know that injuries is kind of my realm, but I'll let you, Tyler, (laughs) uh, talk about the ones that we heard about today. Yeah, hopefully this doesn't make you
0: jealous, but uh, the the first, the most significant injury in terms of length of time, sounds like it's going to be wide receiver Matt Salerno. Um, He uh, suffered a lower leg injury, Marcus Freeman said, and Marcus Freeman's description of how long he'd be out said an extended period of time didn't give a a detailed answer in terms of the amount of weeks. but. It sounded pretty serious from the way he was discussing it. Um, So that's a tough blow. And I went back and looked. I was like, man, I know Matt Salerno was playing in the fourth quarter. I wonder when this may have happened. And it looked like it could have happened on the the final punt return, which happened with less than two minutes remaining in the game. So that's a really tough blow for a veteran like that um, to have suffered an injury um, that late in the game in in a moment that didn't exactly have a lot of stakes. But uh, he was out there returning punts, which is something that Notre Dame trusts him to do. And uh, it looks like he may um, have suffered an injury doing that. He is someone who I think has a somewhat important role. I mean, he's not one of the top receivers on the team. He's so far in the first two games, he was seventh in offensive snaps at the wide receiver positions. Um, but he has so much experience that I think it, that was valuable to the group. He had 19 offensive snaps in those two games, one catch for nine yards, and then returned two punts um, late in the game against Tennessee State. Um, So what does that mean without him? I'm curious to see what happens with Braylon James. Does Braylon James maybe not redshirt now uh, if they need to make that, make sure that wide receiver rotation goes 70th, can they go the rest of the season with just six wide receivers? Because that's what they would be at without Matt Salerno if he does miss that much time. Um, So I I think those are um, questions that we'll be certainly monitoring as, as we move forward here, um, following the news of Matt Salerno's injury. The other news items were Devin Ford, the running back, who was also Notre Dame's kick returner. Certainly, everyone saw him take a helmet to helmet hit, um, in which he fumbled as well on the kickoff return. Um, That put him in concussion protocol, and he remains there as of Monday. His availability for Saturday will be determined later in the week. I would say it's in doubt, Um, so we'll see if, if it can get him back. Notre Dame did update his depth chart at kick returner with Jadarian Price, Jadarian Price, excuse me, Um, as the lead kick returner in Devin Ford's absence, um, which we didn't get to find out because Tennessee State actually didn't kick again after that kickoff. Uh, So uh, the other couple other news uh, injury items, Drake Bowen missed Saturday's game. He was also in concussion protocol. I did find that out, um, though Marcus Freeman didn't necessarily explain that in the press conference, what what kept him out. Um, But he is expected to play this week and be available. Uh, and then the last one, it was just a little bit of a more details on Gabe Rubio, who Marcus said last week would be out a couple of weeks, um, did add that he did have arthroscopic surgery, which is something I thought sounded like maybe a possibility. Um, so I think a couple of weeks might be um, more like a few weeks and, and leaning towards several potentially. So I'm curious to see what that recovery looks like for Gabriel Rubio. Can he get back by the Ohio State game? That might be. A short timetable, but they'll figure out where he's at in his recovery um, and try to get him back as soon as they can, uh, as safely as they can.
1: Right. And not brought up today, but implied as Eli Reardon is still on the way back. We don't expect to see him for a couple of weeks. Right. And, and then a guy we didn't ask about today and who didn't play among the thousands, cast of thousands <laughs> that got in the game was Ben Minnick, the freshman. He had had a knee injury. And camp, he didn't work his way in, so we're going to assume that he's still working his way back from that with uh, with not appearing in the game. Right. So we hit all the injuries. So now we're going to move on to Sam Hartman's history with NC State. So NC State and Wake Forest, where Sam played his first five years, are in the same division, the Atlantic Division of the ACC. So. They play each other every year. Now, Sam didn't play against them every year. There was uh, at least one year that he missed that matchup because he was redshirting his sophomore year. But NC State has given him issues, whether uh, whether Wake ended up winning the game or losing, as they did last year, 30-21. to 21. And a lot of that is because Wake Forest hasn't had a very good rushing attack Hmm. Uh, While well, Sam has been the quarterback, especially his later years. And so last year in the game, NC State won 30 to 21, and Sam threw for almost 400 yards. Uh, but he threw three picks, got sacked four times, and they lost 30 to 21. And so, Tyler, do we expect that Notre Dame's balance will be able to make this a little bit different of a script? when Sam Hartman faces NC State this time in Raleigh? Yeah,
0: I do think so. I don't think the offense will be as heavily dependent on Sam Hartman as Wake Forest offense was last year. I'm actually going to do some gross self-promotion here. Back early this year after Sam Hartman transferred to Notre Dame, I did a story on what led to sort of the, the turnover issues that he had this season. Um, and so I'm linking that in the, in the comment section right now um and that includes clips of all three of the interceptions he threw against nc state um, one was an interception on fourth down one was a third third and long situation and then one was just a really poor throw um when he was under pressure uh he seemed to have some issues with the coverages like this when nc state seemed to disguise their coverages a little bit um so hopefully that's something that he has learned from um from notre dame's perspective uh, that but also NC state probably has some ideas of like, okay, these are the kinds of things we can do to try to confuse Sam Hartman. But obviously when you limit the, oppor- the opportunities for him to have to be confused, then I-, I think you put yourself in a better position if you're Notre Dame. So uh, I-, I don't expect Notre Dame to come out and throw for each sometimes per g- in this game. I don't think Notre Dame will need to, uh, but I think that uh, he's certainly going to have to play a big role in this. And, and Notre Dame needs to continue to um Keep control of the ball offensively. It hasn't had any offensive turnovers. Um, and that has been important, obviously, not as much in these close in these blowout games, but it will certainly become even more important um, in the in games that will be um, t- tighter on, on the scoreboard. What do you think uh, of what Sam Hartman be asked to do again against NC
1: State? Yeah, I think, you know, first of all, NC State's pass defense was legit last year. They were 12th in the country in pass efficiency defense. That was by far the best of ND's 2023 opponents, at least what they did last year. The next closest was Pitt, which is 30th. So they were really good. They were also very good against the run. They were 10th against the run. So it's a legit defense, really good scheme. They have a lot of those guys back. It's a three-three five look, so it's it's a little bit different than what you're used to seeing. I think yep. um is it Iowa State that plays that in the Big yeah. Twelve with Correct. some success as well. So um, but I do think Notre Dame's balance is going to help and and just again the things they can do, maybe to take advantage of that three, three, five with some of their personnel, uh, to be able to make it a little bit more difficult. I think Notre Dame can pull you know when you talk about 12 personnel that I mean that seems like against the 335 that might be a pretty good counter punch sure at times so that's that's kind of how I see it unfolding but again I think it's going to be a dance in the first half before you know one of these teams pulls away in the second half I would expect that to be Notre Dame but we'll see Las Vegas expects it <laughs> and we'll see what the place your bets expects later later this week. All right. Okay, um and then on the flip side of this matchup is Brennan Armstrong who Notre Dame was supposed to see in 2021 for Virginia and when he was in the portal um early before Sam Hartman officially jumped in I was thinking wow that that's somebody I would take a long look at. Um, I was really impressed with him despite what happened at Virginia last year. So so how the story goes is in 2021, Virginia had the number three offense in the country and Brennan Armstrong was 0.1 yards away from winning the total offense title. He was way up there in pass efficiency two at 22nd. And he got hurt. Um, maybe a couple games before Notre Dame visited Virginia. And I think they if it had been an ACC game, they might have pushed him back a little bit earlier. But since it was a non-conference game and they were Mm -hmm. in the running for their division title and to get into the championship, they held him out another game. And Notre Dame just trucked their backup. They sacked him seven times, held them to 278 total yards. But Robert Anai was the offensive coordinator there with uh, Brendan Armstrong, and to show you how much coaching can make a difference. When the new Virginia regime came in, Robert and I wasn't retained. He went to Syracuse, and Virginia dropped from third to 102nd in total offense, and Brendan Armstrong's numbers suffered too. Well, those two are back together again, hmm. so I think that's going to be a challenge, even though they didn't light up the scoreboard against UConn. I thought, especially in the run game, Brennan Armstrong was pretty impressive. I watched as much of that game as I could with the announcer, the play-by-play announcer's voice kind of cracking <laughs> through the game, which was very difficult. To, to. So anyways, I'll throw it to Tyler. What what did you think beyond the announcing of what we saw in the NC State opener in that matchup with Brennan Armstrong?
0: Yeah, I, I didn't think he looked terribly sharp throwing the football. Um, and maybe that's just some first game issues um, coming back from from last season in, in a new spot, um, dealing with some injuries. Uh, so maybe this is just rust-related, um, and maybe there's some timing things that, that they can clean up going into this next week, um, playing a home game against Notre Dame. You think that if you're ever going to have a, a time to be sharp, that would be a time to do it. Um, you're going to have your full attention on that game. So I, I think obviously the key to sort of limiting him is not is preventing him from making plays with his legs, and whether it's running the ball or just extending plays to make throws downfield. Um, that's something that Notre Dame is going to have to be very cognizant of, and, and Marcus Freeman spoke about that at length. Um, I think one of the phrases he used several times was, we can't get behind the quarterback. Like, we don't want to over-pursue him. We don't want to go where we think he's going to go. Um, we got to get to – Stay in our lanes, not no. Don't over pursue, and make sure that you're um, ma- maintaining that sort of uh, rush lane integrity. Um, so I think that those will be important um, things to do in order to try to stop Brandon Armstrong from from maximizing the talent that we all know that he has. And I'm sure Robert and I is probably just like, can I just get a healthy quarterback to play against <laughs> Notre Dame for once? Because last year uh, at Syracuse, Garrett Schrader. Um, was injured in the game, and Garrett Shader was having a pretty good season and um, didn't get to see him for the f- full length of the Notre Dame game. So um, hopefully for Robert and I's sake, he doesn't have to deal with another injured quarterback against Notre
1: Dame for the third third time in a row. Right, NC State was picked fourth in the preseason ACC poll. Um, but I, I'm really looking forward to this. I'm looking forward to not being in a hurricane as the 2016 game w- was if we all remember that and so forth. So it should be a pretty good matchup. But again, Armstrong, 19 carries, 96 yards, a couple of rushing touchdowns in that game. The one thing that didn't impress me about NC State's offense was they didn't have any explosive plays. No, not one play over 20 yards or 20 yards or more. So, uh, but yeah, that's uh, that's kind of the net matchup in, in a nutshell. NC State wasn't a good offense without, Brennan Armstrong or Robert and I last year, and and I think they're very happy that they have a better chance to be good this year. They've lost some quarterbacks themselves to the portal. Devin Leary went to Kentucky. T.J. Finley's moved around a little bit. I think he's at Texas State now, and they upset Baylor. So, yeah, it's, you need a quarterback tracker to follow all these guys. <laughs> So before we move on, do we need to jump into some questions? Or Yeah, let's
0: do that. we got a number of questions here. Uh, first off, from Jeffrey Stevens, uh, is Eric still gloating over his prop bets
1: after week number two? Boy, I didn't check them out. I, <laughs> just off the top of my head, I don't think I did particularly well. So um, I'll just gloat about the week one picks until I'm exposed later this week.
0: <laughs> yeah, I haven't gone back and graded them yet, so I don't know how – for certain how well you did or didn't do um i think i did pretty well based off my memory i turn i think i went over on the turnovers and i got the two turnovers so I, that was a big one for me the the late clarence clarence lewis interception but um we'll, we'll discuss discuss more of the prop bets later in the week on place your bets which airs on youtube on fridays and uh, certainly is discussed on the insider lounge throughout the week as folks submit their predictions for the game as well All right, let's go to Bob Alvey. When substituting running backs, does Dylan McCullough know all, some, or none of the personnel grouping, formation, play, call, or is it based on how
1: they want to attack on each play slash series? I would imagine he knows certainly early in the game what's been scripted, and I think he's got an idea of when he wants to put people, and I'm not sure that he knows – uh, the exact play call, but he knows the down and distance. For example, we've been seeing Jabron Payne a lot on third down. He's right. been kind of the third down back. So I think it's more of a situational thing than him being on the headset and saying, get, get in there. You know, I think he knows down and distance what he wants to do.
0: Yeah, and I think there's discussions of like, okay, this is what we want to establish on this drive. We want to get the running game going maybe on the outside, on the perimeter, maybe like, Oh, well, let's try to get Jeremiah love in there for some, some snaps snaps The series. So I think that those are some of the things that they probably discussing in between series um, and, and figuring out how to match the personnel they want best out there. Um, but in a perfect world, they can they feel that those guys can handle all the responsibilities that they're asked. But we all know that some guys are better at certain things than others. Um, and so Notre Dame will lean on um, specific guys in specific situations and um, Especially on third down, for instance, you want to get a guy that both can catch the ball but also um, can pass protect and that's important. Um, that's something that Dylan McCullough stresses as well. So all those conversations are happening um, throughout throughout a series, throughout, in between series, um, and, and all that information goes into why they decide to put X player in versus Y player because they have all kinds of different situations that they want them to, to be able to maximize. All right, uh, next one is from Michael Sweeney. Who else is this ecstatic that BK no longer is at Notre Dame over under on his longevity
1: at LSU three years? Question mark? Um, it seemed like there were a lot of people that were pretty happy about Notre Dame losing last night. They, the, I wasn't going to pile on. I, I was shocked when they had somebody put up kind of shades of pink and red and purple and it was paint shades from a Sherwin Williams store. And and I thought, wow, because some of the names are kind of funny. I couldn't believe Inner Child was actually one of a legitimate paint shade <laughs> name. That was what I was mystery about. I think BK will be longer at LSU than three years. Um I think he's recruited well. He doesn't dance necessarily well but I think he's got a pretty good team, but I'm not going to pile on. I I had picked Florida State to win that game, not by as much as they did. I had them number three in my preseason Super 16 poll. So I thought Florida State was the better team going in. Uh, but I know why Notre Dame fans, some Notre Dame fans would not like to see BK do well at LSU because he keeps banging the drum about Notre Dame's facilities and I think that's if I thought he really meant it I would you know just kind of accept it but I don't I don't think that's the narrative of why he left.
0: Yeah and I think obviously people are going to enjoy anytime he he falters on a big stage and everyone, no one else was watching anything else on Sunday night. Uh, So so that uh, helps for Notre Dame fans to get the opportunity to watch that. There's plenty of games that happened last season that they may have enjoyed if they were actually having the opportunity to watch them. But, I mean, it's the first game. I don't think LSU season is going to be defined by that. Um, And some of the reason why there was so much hype about LSU coming into the season was the way that they were able to finish last year. Um, And we'll see if they can get it. Figure it out, but certainly not a great debut for the the 2023 season for LSU um, in front of a lot of eyeballs against Florida State, um, which they did that last year. They lost Florida State not in, not as ugly as fashion, but in a, maybe even a weirder fashion than than the one that happened last last night.
1: Ten point three million sets of eyeballs, forty five twenty four Florida State. It was seventeen fourteen LSU at halftime, and then all of a sudden it was forty five seventeen, and then uh LSU got a late touchdown for those who didn't watch the game Logan Diggs the former Notre Dame running back did not get a carry in the game
0: yeah and I believe he was dealing with an injury of sorts so I think that that limited his availability um let's go to the next question from Jeffrey Stevens who will be next in behind Chris Tyree on punt returns given the injury to Salerno
1: Do you know off the top of your head? I can look that up.
0: Yes, there's Jaden Mickey is who Notre Dame put on the depth chart, and so I, I I, unless the depth chart is wrong, that is who I would expect to be um, given an opportunity if if they opt to not use Chris Tyree in a moment. Um, Notre Dame has tried a number of different guys back there, um, Jaden Mickey being one of them. Um, So great House was tried too. Great House could be an option as well. Great House, I think Jeremiah Love could be an option potentially too. Um, I think there's a number of guys that Notre Dame. Has some interest in it. <laughs> They're if, all if, better
1: than John Goodman when he was Mr. Faircatch. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a bit of a low bar. Uh, John Erickson, when SEC teams play non-conference road games, they demand neutral conference refs. Why does ND administration not require same consideration?
1: I, I'm not sure other than they've always kind of, they've had, you know, the – Uh, whatever their home refs are on the road and then at home games they have the other teams home refs. So if they're playing USC I think generally they have Pac-12 refs now they would have ACC refs playing against an ACC team but they would also have that when they play Stanford on the road I believe that they would have ACC at least until recent years that's how they, they did it. I think before they were affiliated with the ACC when they were a Big East basketball school. I think they use Big Ten refs on the road. So uh, you you guys get way more into the refs than I do. So maybe (laughs) Tyler's got some more insight. No,
0: I just like well. So so what? So I mean, obviously every game's non-conference for Notre Dame. So when Notre Dame plays USC. Are they going to get like Big Ten refs and like? Don't the Big Ten refs have other games to do? Like, I, I think I, I just don't know like why, why, why that would be necessary. Um, it, and I, I don't think it plays that big of a role in terms of what conference the refs are. I mean, Notre Dame is obviously comfortable with using refs from any conference, given what, like what you said when they when they host a team from a different conference, they bring it because there's not independent refs; they're, they're all conference affiliated refs, so they don't have their own independent refs that they use, right?
1: Um, the so the only time that
0: like they use ACC refs against Tennessee yeah. State um, because obviously the 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 refs are at a higher level here at the at the um, FBS level than the FCS level.
1: Yeah, I, I, the only time I can remember it really being an issue in my mind, I think it was Texas 2016 season opening game down in Austin when we were down there, and it was I believe an ACC crew, but it was a Big 12 replay official. And they Torrey Hunter took a terrible hit to the head. And it was targeting. I mean, there was no question about it. And then the Big Twelve guy up in the booth said no targeting. And then the Big Twelve commissioner kind of defended the replay official. That was bad. That felt crooked. That that's the one time where I can remember the affiliation, conference affiliation of referees. Or at least just that one referee stuck out to me.
0: Yeah, and I don't know why that was. Like they were different. Maybe I don't know if it has anything to do with being familiar with the equipment at a specific school. Like if there are Big Twelve replay officials, maybe the big they were just more familiar with the replay equipment in Big Twelve stadiums. I don't. I don't know. And maybe there's a di- maybe there's different technologies across different conferences. I don't really know, but um, I think we're just grasping for straws here. Okay,
1: let's grasp for another question then.
0: All right, Jay Price, Janarian Price didn't see much of any time until the fourth quarter. Is that because he is still recovering, or has he just been
1: passed? I don't think he's been passed. I, I just think they wanted to get Odric out there. I, I mean, Jeremiah Love showed why he got in the game early. I mean, he jetted into the end zone. You know, and they, right now, Jabron Payne, I think, is ahead of most of those other guys in terms of, how soon he's going to be used in being that third down back. Now, that could change. I mean, Price has done a lot with the reps that he's gotten, and I do think as the season goes on, I wouldn't be surprised to see Price actually pass Jabron Payne on the depth chart. But Jabron has played well, and and really all of those guys have played well to this point. It's a nice – it's a first-world problem, as somebody else called it the other day.
0: Yeah, I don't, I don't think you – you don't want to overload uh, Jadarion Price. I think you want to make sure that he's continues to feel well. But if you're if you're going to put him in at the end of a game of a, of a meaningless game, you obviously feel like he can handle that um, because otherwise you just wouldn't play him at all. Um, so I don't know. I don't know that they're afraid to play him early. They certainly played him early against Navy. Uh, I think it's just the way the situation's played out that he ended up being back there um, and certainly took advantage of some opportunities uh, in the second half. All right, uh, T-Rex, not, not much of a question, but we can make it into one. Uh, if Notre Dame plays a B-plus game, which I consider consistent with their level of play the first two games, I see ND winning by double digits. Do you
1: agree with that? A B-plus game, I, I could see it being a 10-point game at, at B-plus execution level. I think they're going to be, I think the defense is going to be much sharper. Not, not, you know, they're not going to hold NC State to three points and 150-some yards, which is the lowest that Notre Dame has held an opponent since, at least since 2010. Um, but I think you're going to see sharper execution, especially from guys like Benjamin Morrison and Cam Hart. I mean, they really haven't shown up that much in the season and that's two of Notre Dame's maybe best five or six players. So, um, and and they're going to be more comfortable with those safety packages, more comfortable with, uh, you know, the rotation of the linebackers and so forth. JD Bertrand didn't grade out very well in that game in the last game. And, uh, Jalen Sneed didn't grade out very well in the last game. So from a tackling standpoint, I think, you're going to just see sharper, uh, tackling. So, yeah, I, I think double digits is possible, but I'm, you know, again, Notre Dame has got to play a clean game because NC state's defense is legit.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, for, I guess I I would take issue, uh, with kids saying that Notre Dame has played B plus level the first two games of the season. I think they've played better than B plus level. Um, but if if, if, the, if this B-plus level is really good defense and a struggling offense, then, then I think you're, it's harder to win by double digits. So I, I think it sort of depends on how, how this overall B-plus game plays out. And if the offense turns over to, has some turnovers, then um, you're really going to stress your defense. So even if you're playing well, um, you could still go up some points. So uh, I, I think Notre Dame can win by double digits. I don't know if it would be a B-plus effort that would allow them to do that. Uh, especially on the road um i think it just depends how good nc state is i don't know that we have a great sense for
1: for how good they are quite yet vegas thinks that they are seven and a half points worse than notre dame at least the last line i saw before we went on the air all right next question is from mike devoy eric and tyler how did
0: pat coogan and rocco spindler grade out this week it looked like they missed in pass past protection
1: a few times Marcus Freeman gave the offensive line good grades. Pro football focus did not give the offensive line super good grades. It was not as good as last week. Um, How would Tyler James, without having done his film review yet, from the naked eye, grade those guys out?
0: Yeah, I mean, I thought they were fine. I didn't didn't think that they played particularly superb or anything. It wasn't like that they had a – a huge role in, in the win. I mean, if you, if you look at the Jeremiah Love touchdown run, both Pat Coogan and Rocco Spindler pulled on that play, Rocco sort of misses his guy. He doesn't really do a great job of of blocking off his guy, but Jeremiah Love so fast that he got through the, the hole um, and it didn't really matter. Um, so I think there's plenty of things that those guys can continue to sharpen uh, within their game. And certainly I'm curious to see what it looks like against a, a power five opponent in NC state this coming week. All right. The questions just keep coming, Eric. So I'm going to keep, keep firing okay. them in our way. Uh, Lee Marie asked, isn't it time to move away from the fans ideas that Tobias Merriweather is a superstar?
1: Um, he wasn't a superstar in the first two games. Can he be a superstar? Yeah, he can. He's got incredible physical skills and he's, I think, continues to grow into that role. I mean, here's the um, thing that I look for if I think somebody's not going to, not moving toward their potential. If they're struggling, are they struggling in all areas? And he's blocked incredibly well. He's had a good run blocking grade in both weeks he's played. He's played a lot of reps. He had two very short uh, passes that he caught, but he did catch them. Uh, I still think it's kind of like Benjamin Morrison last year. If you remember the first five games or so, you just kind of went, okay, you know, that kid might turn out to be pretty good at some point. And then all of a sudden, boom, it happened. And I think that's what's going to happen with Tobias. He's going to gain confidence. He's still working hard. He's not hanging his head. Otherwise, his reps would be cut. He wouldn't be... Uh, run blocking well. So I think uh, it's not time for fans to move away from that idea. Yeah, I mean, it's, the idea is that, that he has the
0: potential to be one. I, the, the idea that he is one already was, would certainly be flawed. He had, he had one career catch coming in the season. Um now, now was, he has
1: three career catches.
0: Now, certainly it was a spectacular one catch as a freshman. But, um, yeah, I agree with you. I think it's way too early in the season to write someone off um he he's doing the things that are asked of him in terms of the non-receiving things um are how many opportunities has he realistically had um and and he failed that certainly the first game wasn't good i think he had a poor game against navy as a receiver um i didn't see like obvious missed opportunities for tobias merriweather um in the tennessee state game in the same way so i think you have to be patient with it um the reason that he's getting so much playing time is that he has so much potential and I, I don't think you give up on that potential just yet because it's not like you have a long list of proven receivers waiting in the wings behind him um and even if those guys have done some things like a dion colsey it's not like he's been consistent at a, a high level with productivity so i think you have to keep running tobias merriweather out there and keep giving him opportunities
1: yeah and at the same time they're not squelching Rico Flores. Rico Flores had 24 snaps in that game as a freshman who's behind Tobias on the depth chart. So they're bringing him along as well.
0: All right. Uh, Eric Swope asks, your opinion on Sam Hartman's showmanship, the flip hiding behind Gino Gadulli for the fans?
1: Um, I, I was less concerned about the flip than Marcus was, but I think if it was a regular occurrence, yeah, I'd say tone it down I just think he was excited and in the moment did that and uh you know hiding behind Gino Godouli to stay I mean he's he's a sneaky funny kind of guy you know in the uh press conference you know people or somebody asked him about you know what he and Marcus talk about during the second half and he starts out well sometimes we talk about the weather (laughs) and then you know on the jokes about uh, how they're close in age yeah how they're close in age and he said you know during the 38 second drive right before the half he said yeah the aim was just to throw to tight ends cuz they hit tight ends i think four or five of those plays but i mean he's sneaky funny i like i think he finds the right balance of being the face of the program but not being a, an obnoxious face of the program i i think he's got the right balance i'm cool with it
0: yeah, I mean, the flip, I, if you're talking about, like, how he scored, I don't think he was trying to do it in style. I think he was just trying to get in the end zone. Uh, he did, like, a celebration afterwards that he he sort of even uh, said that it was probably too much of a me guy thing that he, he didn't necessarily feel great about. But um, certainly he's hamming it up at the end and, and playing to the crowd, and I think it's something that's different for him. Certainly, he mentioned, it, like, I, I, having fans chanting quarterback backup quarterbacks' names uh, in the student section isn't something that he dealt with a lot at Way Forest. Um, so he's sort of living it up, and he's encouraging the younger guys. He's being a good teammate and a, and a leader and a friend to those guys, whether it's Steve Angeli or Kenny Minchie. Um, and I think uh, I think Notre Dame's better for it. I think he, he's bringing a good attitude to it. And it was because, like, he's taking it, like, when it matters most, you can count on Sam Hartman. It's not like he's just goofing off all the time. Um, so I think those that's the kind of person you want to have that has can be lighthearted, I know certainly Eric and I can, can appreciate that, that kind of an attitude. All right. uh, Pavin B asks, what are your predictions for win loss records for the season?
1: I'm staying at 10 and two. I I didn't know we could change it. I guess, (laughs) you know, I think, you know, at some point after playing NC state, I think I'll have a better feel for whether I feel good about that 10 and two or whether I, over underestimated this team, you know, you've got to win all the non-Ohio State, USC uh, and uh, Clemson games, but then you've got to, you know, I have them winning one of those three. Could they win two or more of those? The NC State game is going to be our first clues because again, you're going against a pretty good defense. They're going to hold up. As a pretty good defense, NC State is all year. You're also playing against a really experienced quarterback, more experienced than a lot of the quarterbacks that Notre Dame will see this year. <laughs> it seems like it's a Phil Jakovic with the sixth year thing too going on. But uh, um, so yeah, ten and two is my prediction, and I I feel like I shouldn't change that. Yeah, I was the same. We'll, we'll
0: give Pave and B. a break if they didn't catch uh, our season prediction, Football Never Sleeps, that we did earlier uh, in August. Um, but, yeah, I, I think we're, we still have so much more to learn about Notre Dame, but we also have so much more to learn about their opponents. Like, Ohio State didn't look great against IU, but that doesn't mean Ohio State can't be great by the time they come to play at Notre Dame. Um, so there's just – if someone – is changing their season prediction. They either did a really bad job with their season prediction, or uh, I think they're taking too much liberties with what they've seen so far to, to change, uh, change their prediction. All right, John Erickson, another question. How impressed were you with
1: Angeli in his
0: first real test?
1: There wasn't a lot to pick on in that. Marcus Freeman went into a little bit more depth today than he did Saturday after the game. I mean, his pass efficiency rating was actually higher in the game than Sam Hartman's. The um, touchdown pass that he had to Jadarian Price was really good at how he evaded the rush and then just kind of lofted it to a wide-open Jadarian and said, okay, go run 40 yards for the rest of this. Uh, I thought he did a really good job of running the offense. Again, it wasn't like he was facing... Clemson's backups or Ohio State's backups. But in the moment, I, I thought, okay, this is what you want to see. He looked better and more capable of commanding that offense than I had seen in the spring.
0: Yeah, I think it was the first real look at what what Steve Angeli could be and, and if there are signs of hope that he could be the starter next year. I think it's still too soon to say with any sort right. of certainty that he would be um his stats were certainly inflated by a lot of yards after the catch both with those both of those touchdown passes but certainly with the with the price one he had to make that happen like that that didn't happen just because Jadarian price was open it happened because he was able to evade the rush and and still have a have have his eyes downfield and know where his outlets are to get the ball to them and 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 let a playmaker like Jadarian price go to work who their roommates, so they should have some chemistry, and that, that turned out to be true in, in that instance. So um, I think it's a good first like real showing for him, but still plenty more to learn. I think my biggest question about Angeli is just what is, what can he do in terms of pushing the ball down the field? What is his arm strength like, um, and and how accurate can he be in in those instances? And so we didn't see a ton of that. Um, but he had a couple of decent throws that um, are, are, are worth uh, worth knowing, uh, noting, and uh, worth building upon.
1: Yeah, one of the things I wrote about in my column on Saturday was how important this is. Again, you don't you don't conclusively know something about Angelian 2024, but you got another little piece of information that's valuable as to whether he could be the guy, or you need to jump in the portal, or hope that CJ Carr is ready. Um, and also in terms of if Sam Hartman has a contact fallout or if his helmet falls off or he ha- his he needs to walk off an injury, you know, this guy could come in and play a series and, you know, do it well enough to keep you from, you know, getting more gray hair. So, um, I thought that was important for him to get, I mean, you think about how little he played last year and it was what seven or eight snaps. None of those involved throwing the football. So, right. and even Kevin Minchie got in. Kenny Minchie. Uh, I almost changed his name. Kenny Minchie got in and threw a couple of completions. So that was, that was key. All right,
0: Joshua Williams. I'm getting bad. Jordan Johnson, Jordan Johnson vibes with Merriweather. <laughs> Anybody else? I even had to Google the five-star receiver that transferred from ND because I couldn't remember his name.
1: So Jordan Johnson was a five-star receiver in the 2020 class. He still does not have a career catch, and I don't think he has a college right now. He went into the transfer portal from UCF after the season, and I don't think he got picked up by anybody. So I'm not even sure that he's playing college football this year but he has zero career catches. He he did not uh, regenerate at UCF. No, I, I think you're really, I mean, you got to look back at um, the history of Notre Dame wide receivers, and there have only been three that have had double-digit receptions as freshmen. Now, Tobias is a sophomore, but you look back at, um, Equinemius St. Brown and uh, Miles Boykin and some of these other guys, Chase Claypool, they weren't tearing it up uh, early in their sophomore seasons and eventually became NFL caliber wide receivers. I just think everything that I know about Tobias, his family, who's around him, who's in his ear, and just his maturity, I think it's going to happen for him. And that's the thing. I mean, we can all be – Stephen a smiths and just say oh, he's awful and then he catches 10 passes he's great you know i think <laughs> you have to look behind the curtain and and that's what i'm seeing i'm seeing somebody i still think has loads of potential and that no cornerback really wants to see in practice
0: yeah i mean I, I, like that's what fans are for that's not that's not what our our job is i, I they're like if the fans are and are allowed to overreact and have those opinions, but like our our job is to sort of see through what is going on and try to figure out what is going to happen um, and not be overreactionary. Um, I I don't get any sort of Jordan Johnson vibes with Tobias Merriweather. He wouldn't be playing as much as he is currently if he were anything like Jordan Johnson because Jordan Johnson never had those kind of opportunities at Notre Dame or any other school um, in his college football career. All right, another one. Brendan McCarthy, if your football team muffed two punts to lose a primetime nationally televised game, what lengths would you go to and what traits would you a punt a year later in the same game?
1: Oh, he's teeing me up for something. I'm going to let you take this. <laughs> Brendan, <laughs> you, you little minx. Let's, uh, would, let's get Tyler in trouble. Would you say that the, the trait would be smart?
0: Uh, that's, that's the go-to trait that I like to make fun of because it doesn't make any sense. And that's the one word you'd want to make sense in your traits, but, um, yeah, I mean, coaches, uh, coaches mess up even, uh, highly paid coaches. Um, and, uh, I think that, uh, plenty of people are enjoying watching some coaches mess up and I, I understand that. Um, so, uh,
1: they Brian Polian can't be blamed this year. <laughs>
0: yeah, but yeah, you can't blame Brian Polian this time. Uh he, he's he's no longer on the LSU coaching staff. Um so yeah, Brian Kelly's going to have to uh, to point some fingers in different directions this time. But isn't Bob Diaco helping
1: on special teams
0: this <laughs> year? <laughs> I don't know what Bob Diaco's role is. Uh okay. I haven't I haven't uh, been looking into uh, okay. uh what uh Bob Diaco's up to these days. I I guess I've been having
1: more important things to do outside linebackers (laughs) coach. And I think he's
0: helping with special teams. So, uh, Jeffrey Wong just love how coach Marcus Freeman gets the backups to play meaningful minutes and how crisp and focused the units are. I've been extremely encouraged and I've been listening and watching ND since divine.
1: Um, so that's not exactly a question. So what we can agree or disagree, uh, I like your observation, Jeffrey. I think this is how Marcus intentionally built the team. You know, we're going to see a tighter rotation. So there were, I think, 51 players that got in on offense and defense in the Navy game, which is a lot. And then it swelled to 75 in the uh, Tennessee State game. And that doesn't count the kicking specialists and people that played only special teams. Uh, So, yeah. I think intentionally you're going to see a lot of the front seven rotate. You're going to see deep safe, you know, safeties go deep, deeper than the two, uh, and especially in packages you'll see the corners go deeper than two. The running backs have gone five deep, but I think some of the rotations will tighten a little bit as you get into games like NC State and Ohio State and so forth. But this was the intention to not only build depth in case of injury, but build depth to, to bring waves of talent into the game. And I am impressed that there has not been a drop off with the twos. Um, yeah, well, it,
0: it, it's funny to me because it's like people get upset that Notre Dame plays Tennessee State, right? They don't, they're like, why are we playing an FCS team? And then you get to see all your backups play. It's like, oh, that was great. I love that Marcus Freeman is doing that. I was like, well, that's what you get for playing Tennessee State. That's what all the other teams in college football do. That is the point of it. You get opportunities to let people get experience, to let them play in situations that are meaningful, but aren't as high pressured as playing against another power five team with the same kind of talent. Um, so it's just funny to me. And I'm not saying that uh, Jeffrey is one of the people that was upset that uh, Notre Dame is playing against an FCS team, but, these are, the, these are some of the things that happen. Obviously, we think that Notre Dame is building depth regardless of whether they're playing against FCS teams, but you get more opportunities to see that on the playing field when you have, you're you playing against opponents that you're vastly superior to, um, and, and Marcus Freeman and Notre Dame have taken advantage of that in the first two games so far this year, um, and I think that will help in the long run. I think He was asked today um, if you sort of think about – potentially redshirting guys as it relates to the transfer portal and like you get him more playing opportunities. Um, I thought that was an interesting conversation. Yeah. Um, what, what were your thoughts about that, Eric?
1: Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think that, um, you know, he didn't say, yeah, we're thinking about the portal and, and trying to not have guys think about the portal, but I think they've kind of said to hell with the red shirt thing too. I mean, they're monitoring it. But if a guy can help you win, I, I think there have been times coaches have held somebody back that could help them win by trying to preserve that redshirt year. And And odds are whether it's a grad transfer or the guy goes to the NFL, he's probably not going to be. I mean, wh- what would what would be the point of redshirting um, Drake Bowen? I mean, is he going to be here for five years? Uh, Christian Gray. So you. If they can help you play, get them in the games and have them ready. So I like, I like that approach. But I again, I don't think you say, well, gosh, Sam Pendleton, he's pouting because he didn't get in the game at offensive guard. Maybe we ought to work him in against NC State in his home state, or he's gonna hit the portal. I don't think you can you can let that hang over your head and make decisions based on that.
0: Yeah, but it's just another way that kids can exit a program, and you know that that there's a chance that they do, and it's not it's not that that's why you do that, but it's like well, that's another reason why he might not make it to his fifth year at Notre Dame because he could he doesn't even have to wait till he graduates to leave, which was more frequently the case in the past, and now it's becoming more common to even transfer out of Notre Dame before that. Now we'll see if that continues and what that looks like, but with the transfer portal and it's it's uh, the way it's enticing kids to transfer and and that the way things have been going across college football, um, that seems likely to continue to happen. So yeah, if you, if a kid can play, then then give him some opportunities, find ways to get him out there. I think you still are smart and I think you have to look out for the kid because what if if something goes wrong in that kid's career and he isn't developing the way he wants to. And so he still has that year at the end of his career that maybe he would have liked to have had if he, if he didn't redshirt or if he did redshirt. Um, So I think that that's something that Notre Dame, should be cognizant of, but um you're not going to get many kids that'll be like, I, I don't want to play. Um I, I think They're going to want to get out there and they're usually going to be pretty confident that they're not going to need to be in college for 55 years, even though that there are plenty of guys that, that end up doing so.
1: Right. Uh, two real quick points on that. One is we're soon going to run out of these sixth year COVID guys. Right. Um The class that's the 2021 class that are currently juniors, are the first that don't get that. So the guys that are true seniors right now are the last COVID exemption class. The other thing is, um, even by playing these guys, I mean, you're not necessarily cognizant thinking of this, but let's say Bowen, Jaden Osberry, and uh, Jalen Snead, that's probably your starting linebackers next year. And if they're getting really valuable time this year, that's also going to help you for 2024.
0: All right. Uh, John Erickson asks, hearing anything on Gerby Lambert? I'll handle this one. At least if he can miss to Harvard, we can still take him as a transfer. <laughs> um, uh, I really appreciate that second comment. Um, but I did share. I with did, the, LOL. <laughs> yeah, I did appreciate or did share with our Inside Indie Sports subscribers on the Inside Lounge message board, the latest that I was hearing at Kirby Lambert. Um, So it pays to be an InsideIndieSports.com subscriber, so I would encourage you to do so to get that information. But um, still in a waiting, a holding pattern in terms of when he may announce a decision. I still like where where Notre Dame is sitting as we currently speak. All right, Brendan McCarthy with another question. Uh, Big fan of the show. Is this the best running back room since – he says 2021. I think he means t- 2001 um, with Jones, Fisher, Grant, and Lipinski. I say it is. Thanks for taking my call. I'll hang up and listen.
1: <laughs> you know, I I would have to, I would have to think and kind of research on that. I don't have the loose emoji memory that <laughs> Louis had yeah. where he could remember things from before he was even born. Oh, was, that 1946 game was in a pouring rain. <laughs> I was like, how did you know that? Uh, but I think it's, I mean, at the bottom of that depth chart, it, it this is the best I can remember Notre Dame being at the bottom. I think there have been better running backs than Audrick Estime. No slam against Odric at the top of that. But right. um, when you look at, Jer- if Jeremiah Love is your fifth string running back, <laughs> whoo, that's an, that's incredible. Um, but and 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 props to Dylan McCullough to figure out how to make that whole thing work, because those guys are very supportive of each other. It's a very close room, and and they're loving all having a chance to play.
0: Yeah, and I mean, can you imagine if Dylan Edwards was on this team that's too? It, that's exactly where I was going, though my brain was working too slow. Dylan, there are folks tweeting at me like, man, how big of a loss was Dylan Edwards? Is that the worst loss that we had in that recruiting cycle I was, well? I mean, you have to take into account of all the running backs on the roster. So I, I don't think it's that big. A, I mean, Dylan Edwards is very talented. I don't think we ever miss, uh, didn't believe that. I mean, rivals had him ranked the highest at number 100 overall. Um, and I think he loved, and the rivals look pretty good after uh, his first career game with four touchdowns. Um, but yeah, the, the talent that Notre Dame has in his running back room is immense. Um and I think that made it harder for guys like Dylan Edwards to turn down an opportunity at Colorado where he can go play right away. Um right. where he wasn't gonna he wasn't gonna he be able to get the opportunities. Here. Yeah, he wouldn't be able to get as many opportunities at Notre Dame. Um and, and good for Dylan Edwards for bet on himself, and so far so good for him. Um, and uh I think that uh in terms of the Best running back rooms. I, I, I'm the same way. I would need to, you know, put put a list of all the running back rooms together before I would feel confident to make a, a statement either way. But um, this 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 room is pretty good, and there's a lot of potential uh, moving forward for it as well. All right, Frank Sarah. He had an early question that we haven't answered yet. Can Notre Dame rush for 145 yards
1: against NC State? Uh, I think they can, and I think they better. I, I think they need to be around in that area to make Sam Hartman's passing game effective. And and NC State is difficult um, to run against. Uh, you know, they their defense allowed UConn to march right down the field on the first drive, and then they made adjustments, and then it was pretty much lights out, except. Kind of a basic running play where the UConn uh, running back kind of broke into the secondary and then was able to outrun everybody for a long touchdown. Other than really those two parts of the game, that was pretty airtight run defense.
0: Yeah, I think I think Notre Dame should be able to run the football against them. I, 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 if Victor Rosa can break off a 71-yard touchdown run, I think uh, there's some running backs in Notre Dame's talented running back room that could. That could do some uh, important things for for Notre Dame in the running game. So uh, I do think Notre Dame will would, would hit the over in the rushing yards with 145 there, and I, I think it'll be an important part of the offense. They don't want to, yeah, you, know, you don't want to have to rely on a, a quarterback in a hostile environment as your sole as your sole weapon if you don't have to. And uh, I think Notre Dame isn't going to have to, and they're going to be able to have a balanced attack and get over that 145 yards rushing mark. All right, that finally ends the onslaught of questions. Thank you for everyone for continuing to submit questions throughout the show.
1: Okay, um, we have lots that we're going to cover, so maybe I'll kind of give you um, a, some lightning round. So you just give me a quick answer. All right. How was the adjustment back to playing a conventional offense? How would you kind of rate that process? I thought it looked pretty good. I, I
0: think – because it's Tennessee State, it's hard to say conventional just because the talent wasn't the same. But uh, I do think that it looked pretty good for the most part, other than when Notre Dame had 10 players on the
1: field for one play. How did the interior D-line fare without Gabe Rubio?
0: Yeah, well, Howard Cross certainly elevated his game. He was awarded Defensive Player of the Week uh, um, for from, from Marcus Freeman. Um, he had a team-high six tackles. Jason Onye played well, too. Five tackles in addition to his blocked field goal. Um, so I thought the interior defensive line really um, stood strong, and I think we'll have an important role this, this coming week.
1: You asked this question today in the press conference, impressions of the pass rush to Marcus. That's my question to you. Yeah, another name had
0: 10 quarterback hurries, which are a good thing. I think it's something you need to be careful with against Brandon Armstrong. You don't want to just hurry him because he can get away from it, get away from you and makes things happen still. Um, so I think there's signs of the pass rush improving, are getting different guys. The 10 quarterback hurries came from nine different players, um so that's encouraging one sack by Jordan Botello. um So it's definitely more to prove there from the pass rush, but I think we're seeing little glimpses of what could be an impressive unit uh, moving forward.
1: Marcus had, I thought, an interesting take on the two-lop side of wins and how he evaluates his own team in light of them. Do you like that approach?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think – I think you have to start when you're evaluating your own team. It's like, okay, did we do what we were supposed to do? Whether or not we like did it better than the other team, did we do what we were asked to do? Do we make sure we did our assignments well? Um, were we executing? And I think those are um, sort of the ways you have to operate regardless of the opponent. And um, I think what's the, the phrase that gets thrown? Name, nameless, faceless opponent. That's one of those things where your opponent is yourself. You have to do the things that are asked of you um, and then uh, then move forward and evaluate from there.
1: Safety Antonio Carter picked up a targeting foul just before halftime, so he won't have to sit out this game. Had it happened in the second half, he would have to sit out the first half of the NC State game. Devin Ford got hit with a helmet-to-helmet contact on the kickoff return. So when you were watching that live, and even maybe if you've reviewed that, did you think they were both targeting calls, that the refs got it right or that neither was a targeting call? Well, I was dodging tomato
0: cans online because I didn't think he was targeting – the Devin Ford hit was targeting. I didn't think the guy lowered his head intentionally, um, and I didn't think Devin Ford would be considered a defenseless player in that situation. Um, So uh, there are definitely plenty of people who disagree with me, Um, but uh, obviously what's most important is Devin Ford being healthy moving forward so hopefully he's okay um, once he gets out of the the concussion protocol. Um, and I did think the harder one was the targeting. I think, I think if people, I think people would be more accepting of that being a targeting penalty if it wasn't for the fact that they felt the Devin Ford hit should have been called targeting. Um, and so I think that's why people were more upset about the second one, just because it's like, oh, it's certainly it's just our luck that um, we're the ones that could seem to continue to be called for targeting. But I think if you pulled a lot of a lot of fan bases across college football, they would feel sort of the same way about how targeting is
1: appreciated as well. Okay, two more. Was it worth having an FCS slash HBCU on the schedule?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it was. Um, sort of as I alluded earlier, the fact that Notre Dame could get its depth on the field and and, and be able to use that opportunity uh coming off of the Dublin game, you sort of lightened the workload for everyone. Um I think it was a good opportunity. If you're gonna, if you're gonna break your rule of not playing against FCS teams, do it against an HBCU that can really benefit from the spotlight, um, the money that comes from playing in that game. Um, so I think it was a good decision. I, I don't have an issue with it. I understand if people think that they shouldn't play FCS teams, but if you're going to make the exception, I think uh, that playing against a team like Tennessee State um, it, is worthwhile doing. I don't I don't think uh, – I, I would hazard to guess that USC, which is the lone – team that has not played an FCS school will probably break that uh, streak at some point here in the near future as well.
1: Okay. The last lightning round question, what might Notre Dame have held back schematically or personnel wise in the first two games that we might see this weekend? They've just been hiding Tobias Merriweather. They didn't want to know everyone was, (laughs) they
0: didn't want everyone to know he was good. No, um, I think there's plenty of creativity in the offense that we haven't seen. And I think not just in these two games, but even, in the opportunities that we were allowed to watch Notre Dame's practices. um, I think there's a lot more um, that Jared Parker could have up his sleeve in terms of the offense. I'm sure there's more creativity that Al golden can use too, that he didn't feel like he needed to use against Tennessee state. And then obviously at Navy, you're dealing with a whole different kind of beast. So I think there's plenty within the playbooks on both sides of the ball that Notre Dame can lean on. And in terms of, I don't know that there's a lot of personnel. I mean, the personnel groupings that can be different, but everyone's played. So it's not like they've been holding guys back. And maybe some different guys get more opportunities, but there have uh, been a lot of players on the field.
1: I'm sorry. I saw a question about a Magic 8-ball and I started laughing. All right.
0: Uh, You want to handle that? Sure. How do replay officials determine in targeting if their Magic 8-ball breaks?
1: You know what? It's it's an NCAA rule that you have to have two. Now, if they get to the third, <laughs> if they break both of the magic eight balls, then they have to run out and get a Ouija board.
0: That was a great question. Thank you, John. You you brought some laughs to us to, tonight, and we appreciate. Uh, yeah, Jeffrey Stevens says, Johnny, is on fire tonight. I, I agree. Uh, thank, thank you for everyone for tuning in tonight um uh as we mentioned at the top of the show we were uh presented by legacy heating and air so thank you to them for um sponsoring football never sleeps Um, and for keeping
1: my house cool it's 85 degrees outside right now
0: yeah we need it we we've needed the air conditioning here at south bend it is it, it is we're in september but summer has not been over with the weather um so maybe that's what sam hartman and marcus freeman are talking about on the sideline um That'll be it for tonight. Uh, like we mentioned, subscribe to us here on YouTube. Like and comment. Make sure you subscribe to us on InsideIndieSports.com so you can get inside scoop on recruiting and analysis. Um, I will be doing a film analysis for Tuesday. but um, to get access to that, you will need an insideendesports.com subscription. We'll be back on YouTube on Friday with our Place Your Bet segment. And then we will also be back post-game with our post-game takeaways. Um, thanks for tuning in, and we will see you next time.